In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. As one can tell through scriptures and prayers and music, today is Christ the King Sunday. It's a kind of New Year's Eve celebration in that next week marks the beginning of a new church year with the first Sunday of Advent. Next week, there'll be an Advent wreath as we celebrate the increase of light through the season, aiming for December 25th. Um, We'll use the color of bluish purple as a sign of hope, as a reminder of that color of the sky just as the sun comes up. Blue associated also with the Virgin Mary, who has a primary role to play in this season to come. And in Advent, we'll all be invited to slow down just a bit, to breathe more deeply, and to try to ponder what it means that God has come into the world in the form of human flesh, in the form of a little baby. But today is Christ the King, a kind of exclamation point to the church year. Today is about the full expression of God's power and energy and presence in the world right now and right here. Given all that's going on in our world and in our country, it's especially a good time for us to think about who is a leader? What is a leader? Where do we look for guidance, for wisdom, for authority? While our scriptures don't lay out easy answers for us, they do shape our questions and they point us toward truth. In our first reading from Jeremiah, God is criticizing both the secular and the religious leaders. They've all failed, they've led God's people astray. And so God is going to allow people just to wander for a little while. They wander in every direction. But then there will be that point where God raises up a shepherd king, a special kind of leader. Then God will gather up all those who have been scattered, all those who have wandered off. And this shepherd king will protect and guard The shepherd king is the one who shall reign as king and deal wisely in justice and righteousness. In the coming weeks of Advent, we'll hear the voice of God's people as they they long for the coming of the shepherd king who saves through love. In our second reading, the letter to the Colossians, Paul tells of how we all have been rescued from darkness and the power of sin. He speaks of movement, of of displacement, as though we've been picked up from a bad place and plopped down in a better place. We have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, he writes. And this is a kingdom of peace, of peace that transcends even the blood of the cross, Paul writes so powerfully and poetically of our Savior. He says, this this one to come is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of the cross. Paul equates this longed-for and hoped-for king with Jesus. But if you think about Jesus, as Jesus is known in especially the New Testament, it's a strange thing to think of Jesus as a king. A king born to an unmarried poor woman. A king who grows up in the outskirts. A king whose consorts are fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and foreigners. And then we're talking about a king who reigns not from a throne or a castle or some high place of honor, but a king who reigns from a cross. In today's gospel, one of the criminals gets a sense of the kind of king Jesus is, and he asks to be included in this coming kingdom. We don't know what he thought this kingdom might be. But what do we imagine the kingdom of God to be? How do we picture it? Because however we picture God's kingdom, God's unfolding kingdom, affects how we live out our lives of faith. The church over time has understood the kingdom of God in different ways. And at some points, this kingdom of God has has been a goal for the here and now, as though it's something we needed to accomplish ourselves. That was the whole idea of Christendom, a kind of civilization ruled by Christian kings, following Christian laws and fighting for Christian ideals. It was the sort of thing that allowed for and encouraged the Crusades. It also has allowed for the persecution of Jews and Muslims and anyone perceived not as fitting into the prevailing understanding of what it means to be Christian. The Washington Post has an interesting article asking just that. What does it mean to be Christian? There are also those who have who have hoped and wished that this nation would be an overtly Christian one with so-called Christian laws on the book, just like people in other places might advocate for another's religious laws to rule the day. But as we know, whenever people try to create this kingdom of God in our time, in their time, before long, the kingdom of God begins to look a whole lot like the kingdom of us. It becomes a reflection of our own values, our own beliefs, our own uglier side of those beliefs. Jesus says clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. Others in history have taken Jesus at his word, but then they've understood the kingdom of God in the other extreme, as though the kingdom of God is something that we can't possibly get any glimpse of. It's for, it's for the way beyond. It's for the far, far, far future. Therefore, these people would suggest, those who hunger and thirst in this world, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or anything else, simply need to wait. They'll get their justice in the next life. This is the way it is. And yet, if we believe that the kingdom of God is only for the heavenly hereafter, 
we're left with little or no responsibility for the life we've been charged with living. There is, as you probably know and imagine, another view, a slightly more complicated view. Instead of the kingdom being absolutely here and now or absolutely far and away in heaven, Christ calls us to a more unpredictable place, a less stable place, a place between the already and the not yet. Jesus says, wherever there are signs, just little signs, signs of justice or hope and faith, then there's a breaking in of the kingdom. Look for those signs. It's partial. And yet just when we dip our toe into it, it's fully realized. Again, the season of Advent will give us all kinds of opportunities to explore this further and look at what it means for Christ to have come into our world as a little child and for us to follow him and look forward to his coming again in glory at the end of ages. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom Jesus speaks of, is in some sense Christ himself. It is his presence revealed. As he reveals himself, the kingdom of God unfolds. The kingdom of God spreads out as we receive Christ and come to know and love him and continue to embody his kingdom goals in our lives. As John says in the Revelation, God has made us with Christ in us to be a kingdom. In some ways, that kingdom is not of this world. It's a kingdom of reversals. The Virgin Mary sings of this eloquently when she says, He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And so to live with Christ as king is to live with an awareness of this reversal, to be ready to notice this reversal and encourage it and celebrate it. Christ's kingdom is also a kingdom of outcasts. When we read the Gospels, we encounter this wild array of people who come to hear Jesus, who who follow him and who make him to be their Lord. Some are prostitutes, some are tax collectors, many are widows, some are soldiers, some are very, very rich, some are very, very poor. But they're an unlikely bunch. They wouldn't meet in any other place but in the presence of Christ. That's one of the many, many gifts of a church like this. We find ourselves eating and drinking and praying and and working with people that we might not ever meet anywhere else. Thanks be to God. And so to live with Christ as king is to live in continual welcome of the outcast, of those who have nowhere else to go. We're often good about this around Thanksgiving, and we look around in the corners and the shadows and see who might not have another place to go, and we welcome them. But what if every day had that dynamic? What if every Sunday had that sense of welcome, of searching out and making the hospitality and love of God known? Finally, the kingdom of Christ is a a kingdom of possibilities. To live with Christ as king is to to live open-ended, to live with expectation, to, to live with hope, to live in faith. 
It's a kingdom of second chances, of doorbells ringing. We never know who it will be. It's a kingdom of third chances and fourth chances and fifth. Make sure that's not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The kingdom of God is one in which God is never done with us. It's always continuing. It's always increasing. It's always improving. When I think of the Feast of Christ the King, this, this day that sort of punctuates the year before Advent begins, I always remember, um, I think it was the first year I was in seminary and I served as a seminarian at a church in Philadelphia. And so every Sunday morning I would drive from New Jersey into Philadelphia and there was either a McDonald's or a Burger King I would stop at on my way into church. Um, This particular Sunday, I remember being at Burger King, and there on the counter were those those wonderful cardboard crowns. I don't know if they still have them, but they used to. And so I looked at those crowns, and I thought, that's the perfect thing to take to church today. And so I asked the manager, you know, can I have a whole bunch of those? Because we've got kids at church, and they might enjoy the crowns. It's Christ the King Sunday. The sort of bored manager looked at me and said, sure, take them. So I took them into church. I was so tickled to have these crowns. And I I saw one of the Sunday school teachers and I said, look, I've got crowns. And she said, okay, great. We'll do something with them. And then I forgot about it and went on with the early service and did what I was supposed to do. And then eventually we got to the larger service. And in that church, the tradition was during the offertory, when um, the gifts were brought forward and when the bread and the wine was brought forward, then the kids would join us and they'd sort of come behind the cross and make this grand parade up to the altar and feel a part of things. Well, here they came wearing their crowns. But they weren't the same crowns I had picked up at Burger King. Um, One little girl had embellished hers with all sorts of things, and she'd sort of built it up. So it was was sort of like a, a pontifical crown or something. It was this really tall, tall, glorious thing. A couple of the boys had gotten into a fight, and so their crowns were all mishmashed and and barely crowns anymore. A few others had decorated theirs with magic markers and glitter and all kinds of things. They'd made the crowns their own. It was quite a procession as they came to the altar. I wonder what we look like entering into heaven with our crowns. We're given crowns at baptism, and they're, they're perfect, beautiful, pristine, pure crowns. And then as we live life, we drop them. They might fall off and we step on them. We might misplace them for a while and not be able to find them. We might get into a fight or two. <laughs> They bear the wounds that we have borne. But one way or another, we have them with us. And when we go to heaven, we wear our crowns. As we take our place in this holy realm of God's kingdom, God's expectation, God's hope, God's possibility, we're created to live toward that image. And today is just a small reminder of what we do. It's appropriate that on this Feast of Christ the King, it's the day that we also bring our pledges and place them in the basket, a sign of our offerings, whether it's a a prayer or our presence, 
or, or money, or, or talent, or, or ushering, or cooking, or reading, or singing. Who knows what it is God has blessed us with. But everybody has something, if not hundreds of somethings, that God nudges us to share a little more openly, a little more sacrificially, a little more daringly this year. And so this is a day when we really take the time to write that down. It changes something when we write it down and we put it in the basket. It's a kind of proclamation. It's a statement. It's an action. And so whether we do that physically today or we do it through the mail or do it some other time, I hope you will do it. And feel the energy that comes with being a part of a whole, a whole body of people recommitting themselves to God's presence in this place, um, to this little tiny outpost of God's kingdom as it continues to unfold within us and around us. As we all grow into being the kingdom of God here and hereafter, let us always give thanks for Christ the King, our Lord, our brother, and our friend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.